In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. We are blessed today to have Ron Frailer with us. He's come all the way from Chicago to record this. Welcome, Ron. It's great to be here. I bet it's probably freezing cold up there right now, huh? Well, we had our first snow this year on Halloween, and then it was uh, in the teens for the next week after that. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, it is the winter wonderland up there sometimes. Ah, welcome to the sunny south. We're so glad that you're you're here. And we were blessed because we've been hearing about you and the, the work that you're doing in the ministry. And um, to have you come on the podcast today, I believe, is a God thing. And I believe everybody's going to be blessed by your story and what you're you're doing. So before we get into that, um, just tell us a little bit about you. How did you become a believer? Well, I was blessed to be raised in a Christian family. It was really a—it's one of those blessings that you— some people think, well, I wish I had some amazing testimony about coming to Christ later in life and that type of thing. But there is a just a calm and a peace and just a wonderfulness about being raised in a Christian family. So I had a mom and dad that always took us to church. And even though we were in the military and uh, moved about every 18 months to two years, um, we always found ourselves in a church right away. And it, it seemed like within the first six weeks or so, my parents were head of the junior high ministry or working with the newlyweds or doing something in the church. And so uh, mm-hmm. I grew up in, uh, in a home that uh, not only believed about going to church, but believed about working in the church as well. Well, you had a front row seat at what it means to to serve, didn't you? Absolutely. Your dad's in the military, apparently. And yes, he was for uh, twenty years, and my brother was in the military for twenty five years. My goodness, quite well. Thank thank them when you see them for their service. Certainly will. will. <laughs> Certainly will. And so, um, in all of this time, um, you and I have been talking a little bit about disciple making earlier. I know our list, our listeners are are ready to hear some about that. But before we jump into kind of the how tos and what you do uh, exactly, I want to thank Joe. Joe. Joe's over here in the corner. You guys can't hear him that well, but thanks for introducing us to Ron today. Appreciate that. Um, so you're raised in a Christian home. When did the concept that Jesus had called you to be a disciple really kick in for you? Well, that's really probably a pretty interesting question because, of course, when you're raised in a Christian home, you sort of you're always in church and you're always going to these things, and and so it uh, you hear these things, but you the question about when it kicks in is is really I think a very interesting one, and and I would say for me. Um, I had a, um, a dad that went to the Naval Academy. I had a brother that went to the Naval Academy. And so frailer men went to the Naval Academy. That's what they were supposed to do. It's just so, what you do. Huh? So, of course, I applied and got in. But I realized early uh, in the process there that this may not be the place that I really should be. And um, and that was going to be a difficult was decision. Was that after basic training or before? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, a little bit after. But uh, thermodynamics was not a class that was going to register in my head. But that being said, um, I got a chance um, after a couple of years of the Naval Academy to uh, actually transfer into Wheaton College in Illinois. Oh, yeah. And uh, the interesting thing was is the very first day uh, that I met my roommate um, now, didn't at didn't Billy Graham go to Wheaton College? Yes, he did. Absolutely. So uh, Billy Graham and Ron Frailer. There's not really any connection there, but <laughs> other than we're both alum. But uh Anyhow, the very first day I was at uh, Wheaton to meet my new roommate, I walk into the room, and there he is sitting across from another man. They're actually joined hands together, and they're praying. 
And I'm like, whoa, this is really different from being at the United States Naval Academy. This is just, <laughs> just kind of a little bit different. And I learned a lot from my roommate, just kind of the whole idea of what it was like to walk with Christ. And mm. he was uh, a fan of uh, Jim Elliott. And uh, I remember the quote about, uh, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And uh, just wow. an amazing quote from a man who gave his life uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yeah. uh, so I would say uh, my roommate Jack uh, back at Wheaton College was the first guy that kind of gave me that little nudge about being a disciple maker as he, my first introduction to him was he was making a disciple uh, with, a, with a friend uh, that was on the floor. How about that? Yeah. So welcome to Wheaton, huh? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so. Now that quote you just mentioned again, could you say that one more time? Yes, he, who, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Wow, that's a great quote. And here's a man who gave his life uh, trying to evangelize the Alka Indians uh, down in uh, South America. Yeah, I think there was a movie, The Tip of the Spear was Absolutely. the name of the movie. Yeah, Absolutely. excellent. Yeah. Elizabeth Elliot, yes. was husband. Yeah, well, yeah. How about that? So, so after just seeing Jack on the uh, praying with this guy, you walk in, and then did you have some questions for him, or did he start discipling you, or how did that go? Well, I think what it did was it gave me a, contempor- a, a completely different view of what Christianity was all about, um, because I had sort of just lived Christianity. It was sort of just a part of me. I, I don't want to say it was like brushing your teeth in the morning, but it was just so much a part of my life. It just seemed to be more common. And I think what Jack demonstrated there was it's no, it's it's a lifestyle change. And it's also, um, as the Great Commission talks about making disciples, it's about, it's a command we're supposed to be making disciples. And so I think it was not only seeing Jack and how he lived out his life, but also then as I started some of the classes that I had to take at Wheaton, um, I, I think I was more excited about learning about them versus thinking this is just going to be a Sunday school class on steroids, for lack of a better word. And um, so I think it really gave me a new attitude about what I was learning versus, well, let me figure out how I can, you know, graduate in two years or something to that effect. Yeah. And well, did you um, immediately go from that college environment into the business world or military or in the ministry or where, what happened after yeah, college? So, so I graduated uh, from Wheaton College and then immediately started in the business world. Um, I started in the banking industry and then eventually switched into uh, personal hair care for, uh, because there was a family-owned business situation. But then right after that, got into uh, the food industry. And I've been in the food industry for um, over 35 years. Well, anybody that's ever eaten probably owes you a thank you. Huh? <laughs> yeah, we probably <laughs> eaten something that you sold. <laughs> well, I, um, I certainly sold a lot of product over the years with the help of uh, Joe, who you mentioned before, yeah. who I had a chance to work with and had the great privilege uh, toward the end of my career to be selling uh, food to the U.S. military, which was quite an honor. Feeding the troops. Feeding the troops. Thank you. Thank you. So how did it change for you going back in, going into the business world with this concept of being a disciple maker? Well, you know, I think actually probably a lot of it has to do even with, uh, we, we've referenced Joe before, but I got a chance to work with him um, uh, for my career um, at uh, a company that we both were working at at the time. And um, we got a chance through travel to uh, share our own personal testimonies. Ah. And in doing that, um, we found out that we were we kind of challenged each other to to walk more uh, in reality with our faith. And so um, and I can remember in particular, there was a, a gentleman that worked in with Joe and I uh, in the finance area, and he was one of the best guys that we 
uh, had ever worked with in finance. Uh, he was interested in our business and wanted to know, um, you know, how uh, the troops bought the product. And and uh, instead of just being someone that was telling us we couldn't sell it at that price, uh, mm-hmm. he wanted to learn about our business. And uh, at some point, uh, both Joe, Joe and I looked at each other and we said, you know, this guy needs to know Christ. And so mm. um, I don't know if I got the short stick or the long stick, but it was uh, it was up to me uh, to do that. But I knew Joe was praying that I'd have that opportunity to mm. uh, share the gospel with him. And uh, so I think we encouraged each other to really be disciple makers. That's important. I'm, I'm sure that many people out there in the business world listening today, whether you're on the treadmill or in traffic, maybe even going to your job, feel so intimidated about bringing Christ into the workplace, forgetting that Christ is already in the workplace, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> that, that if they bring up the subject of religion, then it's going to be an automatic shutdown or something like that. But that's not what you've experienced, it sounds like. No, it isn't. And, you know, I, there was another gentleman that worked with us as well. His name was Kevin. And uh, so it was really great because uh, Joe, Kevin, and I were always encouraging one another along those lines. And I would say that that was probably the biggest help for me to be able to be more bold about my witness because I knew I had two of my brothers that I actually worked with that were also praying for me in the process. Mm. And uh, and so when it came time for me to witness uh, to, to Steve, it was I knew those, my guys would be following up and asked how I did. And yeah. so uh, it was supposed to be a half an hour lunch and it probably took an hour and a half for me to finally get it out. But when I finally did, it was a great result. And I was proud to be able to t- call back to both uh, Kevin and, and Joe and, and let them know uh, the result of our conversation. How about that? And so from this sharing your faith in the workplace to uh, discipling, kind of walking with someone over a period of time and investing in them, um, what have you found in your own life that has really worked for you? Well, I think the best thing about it is sometimes as as, um, as uh, Christians, we'll get confused sort of the difference between evangelism and discipleship. And we sort of Merge those together, and well, you know why, don't you? Because pastors have have put departments that say evangelism on this end of the office and discipleship yeah. on this one, and oh, you want to be a oh, oh, that's down the hallway, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so we you can blame it on your pastors. Oh, well, that's a good thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, because evangelism is really about sharing God and sharing salvation, the salvation through Jesus Christ. Where discipleship is sharing our lives and how God has affected our life, how that relationship has affected our lives. And so sometimes people think, well, in my discipleship, I've got to know all of these different points in order to make it out. But really what you want to do is you want to share your story. How has Christ changed you? Um, If you think about it, um, I work for an organization um, that supports Native Americans, and they're very good storytellers. Mm. But if you think about it, Jesus was a storyteller too. Jesus oh, yeah. always told things in stories, and we will remember these parables. We'll say, remember the parable of the sower? Remember the parable of the rich young ruler? Remember you know, the, the prodigal son? There's all these stories. Those yeah. are the things that we remember. We may not remember chapter and verse, but we remember the story. And so being a disciple maker is really about sharing your story. Mm. I, I, I'm resonating with that right now because I heard early on that when you leave, a, when a minister leaves a church that nobody remembers any of your sermons. And I used to think, that's offensive. I spend so much time on these things. And I put it to the test one time. And I was le- I'd been in a church for four years. I was leaving, and somebody said something about mission, preaching, and all. And I said, oh, really? I said, all right, name three sermons I ever preached. And they look like a deer in the headlights, and they go, 
I remember that story you told one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're right. Yes. People remember stories. They hang on stories. And I think stories communicate to us, um, no doubt about the parables. Well, uh, in your own story, uh, go back to you for just a second. Um, what have you found from the workplace to your church life to your family that has been the most, uh, beyond just telling stories, has been the most effective uh, process for you um, in, in discipling other men? On their journey, because I, if I heard you right, you said evangelism is more about sharing the message of Christ, and discipleship's about more sharing the effect of Christ on your life. Right. Well, I think the uh, there's a couple things that are probably the most important, um, and you know, I talked earlier about my uh, my dad and mom and how involved they got in church. I think that's a an important step. I, I you mm-hmm. know, you don't want to sit in the pew. You want to get involved. Find a ministry, mm-hmm. and churches nowadays have so many opportunities for ministry. Um, it could be the person that greets the young families that come in the back door or that come in the door where the Sunday school classes are. It could be someone that helps hand out bulletins or somebody that, you know, collects um, the offering. Or there's so many places to get involved. That's really important. And then um, we call it in our church small groups, but getting involved in a small group is so critical because then you get the accountability of working, you know, with other people that are in your small group. But what I found was through the, getting involved in those types of things, you end up uh, finding people that you know you just um, uh, seem to to get along with better. You know you're not going to get along with everybody, but right. you're going to get along with them. And when the Holy Spirit you know speaks into your life about something, and I I uh, specifically uh, talk about a friend named Roger that I got to know through what we call hope groups in our church. And um, one morning I was uh, going out to breakfast with him, and I said, you know, I just feel like I should start a prayer group with some men. What do you think about it? And Roger was there just to jump on it. And he said, you know what, Ron, if it's only you and I, that's absolutely what we need to get going to. And so he was there to encourage me about it. And so now about a year later, there's seven guys that are in this prayer group that meet every Saturday morning at 6.30 a.m. at my house. And, you know, that's um, and it was because I was involved in these other things. Yeah. You have that encouragement. That's the best thing for discipleship, because in a sense, they're as you're discipling these people, they're discipling you back. In a sense, yeah. they're sharing with you and they're encouraging you. And if on your own, if you said, well, I think I should start a Bible study in my house or I should start a prayer group. Well, if you don't have any feedback on that. But there was Roger saying, Ron. I'm there this Saturday, yeah. and if no one else comes, I'll come until I'll just come until we decide to stop. And hmm. now it's seven seven guys, eight guys that are coming every Saturday morning to your house, to my house. How about that? What are you seeing in their lives as a result of that time investment that you're spending in them? Well, I see a, a lot of wonderful things, and I can talk about it even this morning because uh, we all travel during the week because we're involved in businesses mm. and that type of thing, and. There was a good friend that comes to our group, uh, Dan, and he had sent a note out to everybody because we're all now on uh, a text uh, chat. And oh, so okay. he sent a note out and he said, I want you to pray for my cousin or my best friend, Mark, who's been fighting uh, cancer for years and years and years. He's now in hospice. Hmm. And may the Lord bring him into his presence soon or maybe may he be healed miraculously. Be, please be praying for that. And my response back to them was, I'll be praying. I saw the other guys texting back. And then I said, hey, I'm going to be doing a podcast today. Can you guys pray for me oh, wow. that that Ron, they, they won't hear Ron, but they'll hear Jesus. Yeah. And, and so that's what the results of these things are. Mm-hmm. You're sharing your lives. And these guys feel strengthened by that. And I feel strengthened by that, knowing that there's guys back in Chicago or Arizona, wherever they're traveling this week, that are praying that... God's name would be glorified 
in a process like this. Oh, and I believe it is, no doubt about it. You mentioned encouragement several times, that um, really one of the things that has propelled you um, in being a witness at, in uh, the business world or uh, being in this group is this encouragement. Um, I find a lot of men need that. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And, and um, I think about that also um, going back to what uh, when I was talking about Joe and Kevin and working with them, because, you know, when you work in the business world, um, oftentimes the demands that you have are seem, um, you know, somewhat last minute and somewhat uh, difficult. And, uh, you know, it was great to be able to have um, other Christian guys that I was working with, because what I could do is I could call them up and in all honesty say, you know, Joe and Kevin, I know the request that I have for you is really horribly timed, and I know it's going to take a lot of work, but guys, I just got this information and I need your help with it. Mm-hmm. And because they knew who I was and because yeah. they, and we, we had always shared at this level, you know, they would say, whatever's needed, we'll get it done. And they would yeah. work later to get the thing accomplished. But at the same time, you owed that back to them as well, because when they called and said, hey, their daughter is struggling with trying to get pregnant or something mm-hmm. along those lines, you knew you needed to jump into their lives as well. And so the encouragement goes both ways, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that's what's so, you've got to be an encourager. And as you are an encourager, people will encourage you back. Yeah, I think it's I think it's so scriptural too. You know, I think a couple of podcasts ago, I talked about Barnabas and mm-hmm. the encourager. You know, the, he, his name was Joseph, but it was t- changed to the son of encouragement. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> his his name was actually uh, nickname was given to him by his role and, and how encouraging he was to to other people. What have you found um, in your own life, Ron? That that has really encouraged you to continue on uh, looking for men that you can witness to. Uh, continuing to open up your home to men to in prayer. Um, tell us about a time maybe in your life where someone came along and really encouraged you, uh, if, if you can think of one off the top of your head. Sure. Well, I think there's um, there's lots of opportunities for that. I think, you know, one of the things that um, encouraged me most is, um, you know, if I think about it, was actually came from my mom, which is an interesting thing. But um, because as I mentioned earlier, my my uh, my brother was a graduate from the Naval Academy. My father was a graduate mm-hmm. from the Naval Academy. And so here I am at the Naval Academy and I know it's really not for me. And um, I went there because, you know, I really did think it might be there, but I wasn't going to make it a career. And and um, so it was, you know, right after my sophomore year and I'm looking to to move on. And I'm talking to my mom saying, you know, is this going to really hurt dad? You know, because, you know, dad made it a career and he's a graduate. And, you know, there's, it's, there's um, amazing a camaraderie and there's a, a pride, obviously, from graduating from an institution like that. And um, she said the the famous uh, verse from uh, Romans eight twenty eight, you know, all things work together for good. Mm. And it was really interesting because what happened there as an encouragement for me was I didn't know necessarily what that meant, but right after I returned from the Naval Academy and I before I got into Wheaton. Um, I was, there was a a gap of about two or three months before I transferred into Wheaton and uh, my dad for the first time in his life was let go from a company. And my dad had been a, you know, career military guy, then worked for a a big organization for many years. And, uh, and this was the first kind of quote failure, if you could think about it in this Mm -hmm. illustrious life that my father was, had had. And uh, my mom said how good it was that I was home at that time because I could be my dad's pal. I could pal around with him during that time and kind of be around him. And uh, the difference between uh, my brother and I, I'm 
kind of the funny one in the house and, you know, maybe not as serious as my brother's a little more serious and he was a really fantastic naval officer and probably had to be serious because of the the responsibilities that he had. And my mom said it was great that the the funny one was home in a sense. (laughs) I mean, it would have been great to have my brother home as well, but my, my brother was probably at sea at the time, but I was able to be with my dad, kind of keep his spirits light and encourage him. And eventually uh, that's how my family ended up uh, down in Atlanta because my dad took a job with uh, a school down here in Atlanta, ended up coaching baseball and loved it and everything worked out great. But it showed that my mom encouraged me during a time when I thought it was really going to be difficult for the family to accept what happened. And in a sense, it was all a part of God's plan uh, to make sure that my dad uh, was uh, enjoying this difficult time in his life, but to be able to hang out with his son. And then eventually, that's what got him down here to Atlanta. Well, and she used scripture to encourage you. I Absolutely. think that's so important, isn't it? For a disciple maker to know scripture enough that it's not just our own words of, hey, buddy, it'll be okay, you know, but this is what God has said. And I actually think that brings more encouragement. Absolutely. You know, first chapter of Joshua, five times there, God says, be strong and courageous, be very courageous, you know. Have I not commanded you? Be So you think of a general like Joshua taking the children of Israel, seeing all these miracles into the promised land, and yet he still needed to be encouraged. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think of another verse, too. I think of Acts 4.13, where it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they were rec- and they recognized that, th- that he had been, they had been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's amazing, because here, here's Peter and John in front of uh, the council at the time, and uh, obviously they were, recon- they were astonished by these, quote, common men, um, as they called them, common and uneducated, and they knew they had been with Jesus. Yeah. So, you, so your point about knowing Scripture is so important, because most of us are very common men or women. Right. I mean, we're just common. We haven't maybe had the opportunity to be to, at, at divinity school or or graduate from you know an Ivy League school or whatever. We're in, in a sense we're we're your regular folks. But if we can be in the Word, whether it be through a small group or through our personal Bible study or attending our churches or whatever, and people can say, "I know," I wrote in the margin of my Bible. I hope people would say that of me that they knew I was with Jesus. And that's the way that we're with Jesus, by memorizing his word and being in his word. And you never know how God's going to use it, right? It might be encouraging a believer. It might be sharing faith with someone who doesn't know the Lord. And um, yeah, I, somebody said years ago, I would give credit. It probably was Joe over there, uh, <laughs> said um, one time that a, a, a Christian without scripture in his heart is like a soldier without bullets for his gun. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> He can point it, but there's nothing, there's no ammo, right? Right. And not that Scripture would ever be used in any kind of, I don't even like that comparison that I just used. Thank you, Mark. Um, (laughs) But the point being there is that if you don't, you got to have something to share. And um, Scripture, whether it's for encouragement or guidance or so many many benefits from it that um, I know the men I'm discipling, one of my goals for them is that they would be memorizing Scripture, getting it into their heart. You know, and that accountability that comes with that. Sounds like 6.30 on a Saturday morning, there's already some built-in accountability for your guys, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, uh, men like to do tough things. And, uh, you know, <laughs> 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday is, is tough. But, you know, on the other hand, it also provides them with the rest of the day to be back with their family. Yeah. And so that's really important as well. So the commitment to get there at 6.30 seems kind of rough, but they know that by 8 o'clock we're usually done and they're back with their families and, and haven't missed that opportunity. And, and a man and his family is very important. So we want to make sure that it's not taken yeah. away from the time from the family. 
That's very wise. And you, and they can't use traffic as an excuse for being late or anything, huh? No, they can't. <laughs> in Chicago, they can say that the the the, uh, the streets weren't plowed yet, but, oh. <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll just call them wimps and tell them they got to get there anyhow. So that's what snowshoes are for. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.